Today, Jack, the show is all about you. You're in full control. Go. First of all, hello to Jack. Good morning, Jack. Let's talk to Jack Duffin. Let's bring in Jack Duffin. In our Westminster studio is Jack Duffin. Good morning, Cleveland. I'm joined by Stephen Ruiz from at For The Win. Stephen, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm really good. So just a bit of background for you guys on where this um, discussion came from. Stephen wrote an article, uh, when you listen to it, it'll be yesterday, called The Colts are the up-and-coming NFL power everyone thinks the Browns are. And it's, it's a cracking read. So before we go too much further, I'd encourage you just to pause the podcast, jump over to his Twitter account and give it a quick read and then come back. But uh, Stephen, just talk us about sort of the gist of where the article came from. Well, one thing I want to clear up before I get into that is I think people might mistake me saying that, I guess I'm kind of saying the Browns aren't, a power, aren't going to be a power. When I say power, I mean like a long-term contender. I certainly think they're a contender now after the moves they made this offseason. I'm just worried that it's happened too fast and how that's going to affect them down the road. But I kind of got the, I mean, I kind of got this idea to write this just based on just that, just people saying that, you know, the Browns are, they're going to take over. They got next after the Patriots are done, but I just don't see that. I see them being more of a, not a, I don't want to say Jaguars type team, but a team that like kind of burns brightly and then just burns out. Yeah, I, I think it's a fair discussion to have because you'll hear lots of talk about how um, the Colts have got about 70 million in cap space. The Browns have got 35 million in cap space. But if we actually look at the numbers, you've got, you've got the Browns spending 112% of the NFL salary cap this year and you've got the Colts spending 85% of the salary cap this year. So even though the numbers seem really big for that cap space, what it actually means in terms of real money compared to the cap is very different. Mm-hmm. And then if you look at their projected cap for 2020, I know they can obviously make cuts and roster moves that improves this, but right now they rank 28th in cap space for 2020. So they, the, this cap space that they've enjoyed over the last couple of years, it's, it was started with uh, Sashi Brown's uh, teardown and rebuild. That's not going to be available in the coming years. And then they're not going to have these, the surplus of draft picks. So it's going to make it hard to keep just keep adding young talent. And I know people have a lot of confidence in John Dorsey's ability to draft, but statistical research shows us that no team is really good at drafting. It's just, you're just, it's just, you're just playing a lottery. And the best way to play the lottery is to buy as many tickets as possible. And the Browns are, have been giving away their tickets in moves that I would consider win now. Oh, without a doubt. It's all a strategy of win now. And if, if in the next two years, John Dorsey manages to, bring the Lombardi home to Cleveland, then this is a very different discussion than if we're sat here going, they came really close for two years and then for the next four to six, they they got to the playoffs but sort of burnt out. And it's a very realistic concern moving forward. No, I totally agree. And I I mean, I think there's some merit to this approach. You, you don't know what's going to happen down the line. You don't know how long Baker Mayfield is going to be a great quarterback you could always get hurt he could always tear his ACL or some career altering injury so it makes sense to go for it now because time in the NFL is fleeting success in the NFL is fleeting 
we've only I know people like to compare everything to what the Patriots do, but the Patriots are rare. This there's no other example of a team doing this. And they're rare because one, they have a quarterback who takes a below market deal. Two, they have the greatest coach ever who can make up for whatever mistakes he makes as a GM with his X's and O's. And we've seen that even the last couple of years, the Patriots haven't had a lot of talent defensively, but they do just enough to continue to be an elite team. Where, whereas we've seen other teams with great offenses, great quarterbacks, but bad defenses not even make the playoffs. Like, like the Saints are the best example of this. And how the Saints even bounced back was they got lucky with a, a draft where they hit on like every pick and you just can't rely on that. Yeah, it, it was crazy how the Saints went from that one fantastic draft and the next year they go all in on a player like Davenport that made mm-hmm. just no sense. It was Harold Landry would have been sat there if they had waited. Um, if they wanted to add a cornerback, then you, 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 there was other moves that could have been made. So it was a, it was a bizarre way that it swings. And I, I, I would agree that Dorsey is a better drafter than Sashi, but at the same time, Sashi built a stash and went, look, I'm, no one knows the answer to this. So if I have twice as many picks as everyone else, I'm probably going to have a better draft hall in the end of it. And he, he was right to do that in a way, because that's how you start bringing through. Um, it's, it's why we have Baker Mayfield. So have more picks, get better players. And it's also the, the cheap cheapness of the players, because mm-hmm. if the Browns are going into this next window where they need to replace approximately in the next three drafts, they need to draft and replace 50% of their current starters. If we're talking about potentially keeping OBJ, keeping Miles Garrett and keeping Baker Mayfield. But to do that while trading away picks is very difficult. And we're talking about hitting on nearly every second, third, fourth and future first round picks for the next three years. That is a, let's just say statistically challenging, if not impossible task to hit on that many draft picks. And I think you can look at the Seahawks as an, an example of this. But when they were at their best, they had their guys on rookie contracts. They had Russell Wilson on a rookie contract. They had Sherman. They had, I think Thomas might have signed earlier than the other guys, but he was still on his rookie contract. Cam Chancellor, I can go on and on. And then the thought was always, yes, we're going to have to pay these guys. And when we pay these guys, we've, been, we've drafted so well these last couple of years, that's just going to continue. So we can fill in the gaps with these great drafts. But then – the draft picks dried up. They weren't hitting on draft picks anymore. And now we see this flawed team where they still have a great quarterback, but they're going 10 and six every year and in fighting to make the playoffs. And I think someone responded to your tweet on Twitter about, uh, about Baker Mayfield. As long as we have Baker Mayfield, we'll be in contention. The Packers probably thought the same thing about Aaron Rodgers. The Saints thought the same thing about Drew Brees. Chargers with Phillip Rivers, the Seahawks with Russell Wilson. That's just not the case. Not everyone is Tom Brady, who's, first of all, he has a great support system. He has his coaching staff. And I have a lot of questions about the Browns' coaching staff. I know they've been promising, but they haven't proven anything in the roles that they're in right now. But I just, I just think you're, you're just relying on a lot of luck. Yeah, and those teams you mentioned, I think people – mix between having a winning season with being in the hunt because obviously the aim of every season for a team is make the playoffs and then once what happens after that can be a bit up in the air but if you have a great quarterback you're always probably going to be in the hunt for making the playoffs but there's a big difference between scraping into a wild card and going into the playoffs as one of them sort of top two top four teams that have truly got a shot of bringing home the uh 
Lombardi Trophy and getting rings. Yeah, I agree. That's why I'm a little skeptical of even I'd say the Browns, not the Browns, the Bears approach to what they're doing right now. I just, I don't see them. I think they have like a one or two year window after I would say starting this year. And are they Super Bowl contenders right now? I, I, I don't, I wouldn't be comfortable picking them to win the Super Bowl, not with Mitchell Trubisky at quarterback. And now that they've lost their defensive coordinator and now Khalil Mack's cap hit is doubling this year. Well, they restructured it. So it's going to, that's just causing problems down the line, but they've restructured it this year. It would have doubled this year. And we're already starting to see the problems of spending on these, on these blue chip players, these win now players. When it, I, I just don't think they're worth the value. I'd rather have, a small core of players, like three or four at most, that you will pay, that you won't let leave no matter what. And the Patriots have done this with Tom Brady, Gronkowski, and uh, Devin McCourty. Those are the guys. And then you just churn out the rest of the roster. Even like Trey Flowers, that's a – what other team would have let him walk? I don't think any other team would have let him walk. He would have at least got the franchise tag in another, on another team. Patriots just let him walk. They're comfortable with it. They'll, they'll find another guy who's cheaper and worth the money. Or, and, produces based on what his salary is. Yeah, no, and it's, it's a really smart strategy of what the Patriots do, and they'll just continue adding pieces. So even though they've got three players they're paying a lot for that market, Tom Brady is the only one in an expensive position because McCourty is a pretty cheap position as safety. You've got mm-hmm. Gronkowski is a very cheap position at tight end for the top of the market. You can basically have the two top tight ends in the league or the top wide receiver, and I know which pair I'd rather have Kelsey and Gronk over uh, OBJ. Um, if you can have one or the other, you're, you're taking that. So the difference is if the Browns are doing it with the most expensive market in quarterback with Baker Mayfield, in wide receiver with OBJ, and with um, defensive end in Miles Garrett, they're the three most expensive position groups um, generally. So you're talking about spending somewhere between 35 and 38% of the salary cap over four years on three players. And that does not allow you to build a strong core to the roster. If you still had and you trade it back and keep building picks and you had sort of two first rounders, two second rounders and two third rounders every year, you can afford to play them three players. And it's going to be, I think this year, Dorsey's got the space to do it. Um, But will he have the strategy and interest of next year? Let's move on from four or five key players trade them for picks and then draft and build again. And that's going to be the key thing in a year's time where we see, do the Browns change tack again? Because there is still time to save what is happening. Um, You can go two years all the way in and then there is no opportunity to front load any deals because there is no cap space left. And then you're making 10% cuts on sort of what the cap is. Um, But they could 180. And with Paul D. Pedestra in the building, there is always still going to be hope. Um, but we will see in next off season will be interesting to see do the Browns want to win a dynasty or is it all in and let's don't worry about the year after next let's see if we can do it all in two years yeah and the one worry with John Dorsey coming over from Kansas City the one thing he got criticized while he was there was his managing of the salary cap no one ever had any problems with his talent evaluation he's beyond reproach in that regard and then I I like that you brought up Paul DiPotesta's name because I think it's great that he's still there and I hope he has still has influence over the team. But when Dorsey got fired, one of the the Kansas City reporters had reported that P. 
people were kind of rubbed the wrong way because he would do things without really consulting other people and he would just just go on his kind of go on his own and just make decisions. I'm just worried that that might be happening. Like when you see a guy like Carlos Hyde get what a $15 million deal last off season, that's not a Paul DePodesta move. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. I, I've got a lot of skepticism over what's happening. And even though there's outs in quite a lot of the deals, they've sort of kept to the idea of sticking everything in the first one, two years. There's still, it, you rack up dead money. And the average mm. team in the NFL that makes the playoffs racks up just over 9% of the NFL salary cap in dead cap. Um, and th- cutting these players, even though you're going, oh, we, we, we cut that guy, we saved 5 million this year but you're still paying him $3 million in the dead cap. That sort of money still adds up. And if you can find a way of managing the cap a lot more smartly and you start changing that 9% in dead cap down to 2%, 3%, that gives you a lot more money you can go and spend on other things. So that can cover your costs when it comes to paying a Baker Mayfield because Baker Mayfield, when his contract comes out, is going to set the new high for a quarterback. Patrick cool. Mahomes will do it before him. Uh, Miles Garrett will set the ceiling for an edge rusher. These aren't just going to be big deals. These are going to be market-setting, um, NFL-leading mega contracts. Yeah, and I, I've, we're doing a study on For the Win this offseason. It's a series. We're calling it NFL Moneyball. And one of the big takeaways early on has been that the teams that do the best are the teams that are paying their players below market rates. So getting a guy like OBJ is great but you're still paying him 15 million and that's you're paying him what he's worth. And you don't, at that point, he's not much of an advantage. Like he's not offering you an advantage. It's great to have a great player, but you're not getting an advantage. Whereas like the saints are getting Michael Thomas, a player who is arguably an elite receiver and they're paying him $2 million this year. When they have to extend them at that point, I don't even know if it's beneficial to have him on your team. I don't know if he's even an asset any longer because you're basically giving him money you can spend on two or three other players. So that's where I'm at in this. That's why I'm kind of against paying. Like, even if you get him at a fair market deal, you're still, that's, that's actually impossible to do given that the, the value of rookie contracts. Now they're kind of like deflating the market in a way and making those veterans overpriced, no matter what kind of contract they get. It'd be interesting to see what the Browns do as a roster building strategy when it comes to renewing Miles Garrett. Do you take the um, what the Raiders did and go, if someone's willing to pay us two first, we're going to move him on? And people will listen to that and be shocked. But the question is, can you afford to pay 11% of the salary cap to one player? If we had the front loading and the salary cap was still rolling over, that was easy enough. Um, I wrote a couple of pieces on how you can easily find that money. But if you spend it all, trying to find that money afterwards is an incredibly tough challenge. So maybe that is the moment where it suddenly clicks and they go, we love Miles Garrett, but if we want to build a roster that's full of five, six, seven, eight really good players that can allow us to win Super Bowls rather than just the one, then that might be the moment where they make a statement and go, actually, we're going to trade him on. Because if you can get two rookies, and even if you go and spend that money on a top, a, an above average um, free agent, the same way the Colts have signed um, Houston, mm-hmm. then you can have Justin Houston, two first round picks, or Miles Garrett. And however good Miles Garrett is, I'd, I'd much rather spread that cost to 
amongst three players than have two sort of average NFL players and a truly elite player like Miles Garrett. Spread the risk and reap the rewards. Right. And I like that you brought up the Khalil Mack trade. I think people kind of frame it. They kind of mischaracterize what the trade was. And we see, I've seen this a lot on Twitter because now there's kind of a pushback against this money ball approach of, you know, rebuilding, tanking, people will say, and then just stockpiling draft picks. But that wasn't – I don't think that was a tanking move. I thought John Gruden actually thought that move would make his team better because you're not just getting two first-round picks. You're getting $25 million in cap space for the next five years. You have to add that cap space in. And I think that cap space is – maybe even on its own without the draft picks is maybe just as valuable as Khalil Mack. I I certainly agree. And you could just look at the comparison. Would you rather have Trey Flowers and two first round picks or Khalil Mack? And for me, it's it's not even a consideration on where I stand on that debate. Yeah, without a doubt. And I think the Patriots letting Trey Flowers walk. I mean, it just flies in the face of this idea of these premium positions that you need. The Patriots are defensive end or pass rusher is considered one of those elite positions. And the Patriots just let one, not even in his prime yet, I think he's 25. They just let him walk. They didn't even franchise tag him. They didn't even, they decided 17 million, which I believe was the franchise tag number. Even that was too rich for their blood, let alone a, a long, long term deal worth hundreds, a hundred million dollars. They didn't even, I, I, I think if that, if that franchise tag value was even 15 million, I think they would have let him walk. No, it's, it's amazing what they do from a roster construction standpoint. And I, I agree with you. I think you, you've got three teams that are in the hunt. Um, the Colts and the Browns are in a position to go now. I think the Dolphins are more, might join that conversation in two years' time if they go through a proper rebuild. But someone is going to eventually take the crown off the Patriots. It might not be when Tom Brady goes. It might be when Bill Belichick retires. But it's about setting yourself up and you can make moves to become a dynasty. Yes. You're not going to get Dante Scarnecchia and your O-line. He could take five lads from down the pub and they would become an all pro O-line. Um, the work he does is incredible, but you, you, there's enough smart moves you can make out there. And any team that is going out in free agency and trying to sign the best players is already lost. And Ballard's move, um, the Houston move. Perfect. They've signed him to a two year um, 24 million deal, whereas the Browns have picked up Olivier Vernon. Once you add Zeitler's dead cap, we're talking about 38 million for two years. Mm-hmm. And I, if you gave me the choice of A and B and no implications, 100%, I'm going Vernon over Houston. But to give up Zeitler and pay an extra 13 million in cap over two years, it's, it's not even a balanced debate. I'm taking um, Houston all day long. And Browns fans, came at me when I said, I don't like the Houston deal. I rate the player, but we've overpaid and there's going to be better options out there in terms of value. And lo and behold, when the Houston deal was made, it, it's obvious that that would have been the better move overall. Yeah, I agree with everything you just said. And I'll, I'll even take it one step further beyond going after high price free agents. I think extending your own players is is behavior. It's reckless cap spending. I, I, I'm referring back to the study I did, the NFL Moneyball thing. I developed this stat called uh, value above market price, where I kind of like take PFF grades and snap count, and then I was able to figure out what the market price is for each position. And the stat is value above market uh, price. So it gives you a thing like 
a player like Derek Carr was negative nine million, which meant the Raiders basically lost. They didn't get nine million worth of production from Derek Carr. And what I found was that free agents actually return more value than players that were extended by their team, which is kind of counterintuitive. You kind of you always hear about this free agent premium you have to pay, hmm. but that's really a myth. It's a premium. It's a veteran player premium that you're paying, and there's really no difference between giving like Derek Carr, a big money extension, and then going out and signing Kirk Cousins in free agency. It's the same thing. I think it's just teams are making the same mistakes. It's just a little more understandable when you extend a player because fans are have already grown attached to him. And if you lose that player, you're going to get criticized by the fan base. Now, that study, uh, Vamp, was fantastic. I didn't actually know it was you. I, I read the piece a couple of weeks ago, and uh, it was a fantastic look at um, – sort of value per player and value is just a big thing that fans go oh who cares about value this player is better than that player but if you're having to play twice the amount for the difference then you're making the wrong move and for me I, I get more excited about some of these deals the Browns make on the back end sort of bringing in the role players bringing in the backups um, Demetrius Harris is a fantastic signing at tight end on the cheap yes he's not going to be the difference maker that's going to make a highlight reel but at the same time, it's signings like that. And it's them players the Patriots bring on in one to three million that people are like, why did they sign that guy? And then you'll see one game down the stretch where it'll be the key guy and he'll make a stop on, say, a tight end teams are struggling to man up against or a deep wide receiver that no one can keep up with. This player will come out of nowhere. And then the Patriots let that individual hit free agency. They play free agency smart, get their third to fifth round comp pick back, and then they go and spend it again. Mm-hmm. The cycle just continues. And I, I just don't see why teams haven't learned from that. Like, of course, you're going to keep Tom Brady. You're not going to let him walk. And it, it does help that he has a, a supermodel wife that is worth like $200 million. So he's more willing to take a, a team-friendly deal. And they're not going to let Gronk walk because he's, he's a, a unicorn. We've never seen a player like him that's that dominant. Although I do think they are thinking about getting rid of him now. But everyone else is just fair game. And I think teams would be smart, front office would be smart to go to colleges and ask coaches how they approach building their roster because it's just a, const- a constant churn. Every four years, you're losing a guy. And I think that's how you should approach building an NFL team too. If you look at eligibility as a rookie contract, like once they're done, after these four years, we're moving on. Like we can just exclude them from our plans. So right now, let's start to think about that. In year two of their contract, let's start to think about having a backup. It's kind of like how teams recruit backups out of high school. So I think that's how – I think a team would be really smart to kind of approach roster building like a college coach would approach building up his roster. That, that is a cracking idea to take away. But uh, have you got anything else to add? No, that's it. Uh, read more about VAMP at For the Win. No, no, plug yourself because uh, the, the VAMP piece – in particular, even more than the piece I got you on to speak about is definitely worth reading. That was a fascinating look at a, a, a very sort of straight analytical approach on here's the numbers, here's how the formula came about. And I found it really, really interesting. But plug all your work, tell people where they can find you on Twitter. Uh, I am at, at the Stephen with a V, S-T-E-V-E-N, Ruiz, R-U-I-Z. And you can, you can get more of these odd takes on Twitter. I got plenty of them. <laughs> No worries. Thank you so much for coming on. Have a fantastic rest of the weekend. Yep, it was a pleasure. Yeah.